0: Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to the Res Life Big Rapids podcast. We're glad you found us, and we hope this message helps shape you into something that looks like Christ. Now let's listen in. ...each other and encourage each other in our endeavors, right? And so we want the best for Corey, and we want the best for, you know, for the college kids that are heading out of here. This is probably some of their last weeks here, so if you're a college kid, uh, we love you. And thank you for being part of our family. And if you're moving on, our bass player, Caleb, is, uh, is going to be moving on after this year, too. He's going to be a police officer in Kalamazoo. He got, he's got a job already. So. Yeah. So, so anyway, one of the greatest things about this church is that we get to help raise up uh, and be part of the spiritual growth of so many young people going to college. But one of the hardest parts of this church is, in, has been my experience is seeing so many of those people that we've fallen in love with move away. And, uh, but we're excited about the fact that they're going and they're, they're going to share J- the love of Jesus where they go. And so, yeah. So anyway, give it up for all those people. Gosh. So last week was amazing. I don't know if you were here last week. I don't know if you were able to sit in this room last week or if you had to sit in the foyer. But, but it was incredible. Um, I had so many people mention that we need a new sanctuary to fit in. And I said, show me the money. <laughs> let's do it. I agree. But, uh, but I thought I'd give you a quick, uh, quick update on that. We, we do eventually need a new sanctuary so we can have more room. They say that when a room is 80% full that you'll never get it past that. It feels uncomfortable. Look around. We're 80% full this morning, all right? So uh, so where we are at, the building, you know, we just finished our construction with the building, and so now uh, we, we need to do debt reduction before we could build a sanctuary. And in case you're wondering, no, we cannot expand this room any bigger because of fire code things, okay? cannot be bigger, all right? So uh, that's that. We can meet in the parking lot, but we need that for cars. And... Uh, and so anyway, where we're at is, is that to, we need to debt reduce about $1.3 million. And, and that seems like a lot, but uh, it's not. We already built the building, and we already brought in a lot. And so over the next uh, year or so, we need to just be praying and, and asking God to lead us on, and uh, praying that God helps us do that so that we can get a new sanctuary. How many people would love to have a new sanctuary? Raise Everyone raise your hand right na- now. Uh, <laughs> When the Lord leads us to do that, we will do that. We will not do it any sooner. But until that time, we'll get real cozy in here, and we'll just keep adding more and more services, all right? And so we're already in in the process of trying to figure out when we're going to add more services, so get ready. Um, So over the last month, we've been digging into this, uh, this truth, really, about how Jesus and Christianity and God in our society today have become resistible. Everybody say resistible. Okay, and, and you might, you might want to argue that point, but the fact of the matter is, is it's true. When people hear about Christians or Christianity or they get invited to church, their first thing that they want to do, if they're, if they're an unbeliever or a post-Christian person, a person who's been in church before and isn't anymore, they want to resist because of a lot of different reasons, okay? And one of the big reasons we've talked about really for, for almost four weeks now is Is this idea of how how do we reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God that we read about in the New Testament? And the God in the Old T seems really mean. Like he seems like the kind like like that that he's harsh. He's he's mean. Um, There's there's some like big like book critics that say he's the most he's the the what did they say? He's the worst villain in any book that's ever been written in all of history. And uh, and of course they're not Christians. Uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but then we fast forward to the New Testament, and he's this loving God who loves everybody and cares about everybody. And so we've taken I've taken four weeks to explain how, like the major defense. Uh, for that, and the, it's, it's called apologetics, is, is the argument for faith, okay? Is, they call that apologetics. And what I've done over the last four weeks is talked about and, and tried to be really clear that the God of the Old Testament is that way because he's in a contract with the people that makes it so that that's the way he acts, okay? It's called the Old Covenant. Everybody say Old Covenant. Okay, that's the first half of your Bible. Your Bible says Old Testament, but really it's labeled that, and and the old came from the original terminology, which was Old Covenant. The Old Testament is talking about an old agreement that God had with the Israelites. And so God is acting justly and fairly within the context of the agreement that he has with Israel. But the reason why it looks so different in the New Testament is not because God had a change of heart or that God changed. It says he's the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. So it is the same God who did, the same, did those things in the Old Testament, but what has changed is not God. What has changed is the agreement or the covenant that we have with God. See, the people in the Old Testament agreed to be part of that covenant that caused so many things to go good and bad for them. And we have the opportunity to be part of a new agreement that Jesus brings, that Jesus introduced when he died on the cross but didn't stay dead, right? He defeated the grave and he rose again. And he did that so that we could have access to a new agreement. Everybody say, new agreement. And this new agreement is one where we get to access the full love of the Father through Christ. Okay? He's the same God, he's never changed. The Old Testament's still good. We can learn from that. In fact, uh, you didn't get saved because of the Old Testament. You got saved because of the New Testament. Uh, but once you got saved, you really became intrigued with the Old Testament, right? And, you, and, and it, it's an incredible guidebook or GPS for how to live within the context of the New Covenant, but it's still the Old Covenant, okay? So this is the argument and, and the apologetic that I brought, the defense for God that I brought for four weeks. And so today I want to change gears little bit because there's other reasons why people don't want to um, don't want to follow Christianity and they resist it, so we should talk about those for. A little bit so, uh, so instead um, instead of trying to argue about creation and Noah and the Ark and all these things we read about in the Old Testament, which I believe are 100 percent true, and once you become a Christian and you trust God, you read that, it's easy to believe that. That's not hard. That's not a stumbling block. but when you don't believe it in the first place, it's pretty hard to believe, right? Instead of arguing that fact with everybody, instead, we should, we should be fighting for the things that Jesus taught us to do in the new contract, in the new covenant, in the New Testament, okay? So that's what I wanna talk about today. What what we're gonna talk about, or begin talking about today is this, is what does Jesus' new covenant require of me? Okay? Before I get going, why don't we just pray as you're writing down require. So Father, thank you so much for every person here Thank you for Corey and 16 years of service, God. Not service to us, service to you using his gifts and talents. Thank you for all of the people that serve and love you, God. And and we just pray that as we all serve you, Lord, that we see incredible fruit. We, We see incredible product from our relationship with you of lives being changed and you changing this area to be the way that you need it to be. God, I just pray that today we all understand and can grasp the truth that we matter to you. And that we mattered enough that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, the greatest sacrifice, and to defeat the grave and rise again so that we could, we could have a relationship with you. God, as we get into your word today, give us ears that hear, hearts that understand, and minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. And so, God, we just give this whole day to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So there's another reason why Christianity is really resistible in the world today. Uh, and that reason is you and me, okay? It's not some rule in a book. It's not, it's not this God that seems mean and then seems nice. It's Christians. It's Christians who don't tend to be the best example of what Jesus teaches them to be. We, we tend to hurt people more than help people. We tend to push people away instead of drawing them in. what does is, what is, what is Jesus command that our lives should look like? it's the L word say it together love right so Jesus Jesus was teaching this concept to everybody everywhere he's traveling the countryside teaching this concept of a an agreement, a covenant that is based on love okay and he was teaching this to all the Jews that he encountered in all of the, the in all of Israel in the area where he's at and uh, and so At one point, Jesus is confronted by this expert of the law. And when it's talking about the law, it's not talking about like the courthouse in town. It's talking about the law of Moses, the old covenant law, the rules that you have to follow to be able to see be seen as holy in God's eyes. And so this guy is he's a master of the law. He's an expert. And so he confronts Jesus and he asks. Uh, he asks what the most important commandment in all of the Hebrew scriptures is. He says, he says, what is it? So Jesus, instead of answering, he turns it back on the guy. He says, well, what do you think I'm going to say? And this is what the guy says. In Luke 10:27, he says this. Uh, the guy answered, not Jesus, the, the man, the, the expert of the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 28, it says, You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So, Jesus, uh, we know that Jesus taught these commands everywhere. And, and this isn't like... It's not the guy that came up with the commandment. The reason the guy knew it is because Jesus was teaching this message everywhere he went. And this guy had heard from him before. He had seen him before. This wasn't the first time he had been around Jesus. He was there as, a, as an expert of the religious law to challenge Jesus. So he, you, you don't go and challenge somebody if you haven't done your homework, right? A good football team watches a lot of tape before they go and try to play. They know what the, the other team's got. So he knows what Jesus is going to say. So he's kind of throwing it in Jesus' face here. He's like, I got it. And so the truth is, is he's, he's trying to set Jesus up to catch him in a trap. In verse 29, the next verse, it says this. It says, but he wanted to justify himself, the man, and so he asked Jesus this. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Because remember, it says, love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Now, you don't know this because you didn't live back then. But to a Jew... Anybody who wasn't a Jew was nothing. They were nobody, and they didn't matter. A neighbor, specifically defined within the Jewish culture, then, ancient Jewish culture, was only a Jew. Okay? So when it says love your neighbor as yourself, for Jews, it's easy to go, hey, I mean that, that's easy because we're all Jews, we're, you know, we're all for each other, I'll support you, you support me, we'll hate everybody else in the world. We're the chosen people, God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai with Moses, we are it and they are not. So that's fine. And we don't have to help them, we don't have to do anything with them. And so, so he asks this question because he knows what Jesus' answer is. Because Jesus has been hanging out with the wrong crowd. Jesus has been you know, hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and all these people that everybody hates and think, thinks have no value. And so Jesus explains who a neighbor is in one of, one of the greatest parables, the greatest short stories that, that ever been put in the book. And, uh, and so, so I want to read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. In reply to this, who's my neighbor question, Jesus said this, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, a Jew, everybody say a Jew, Jew. happened to be going... (laughs) Hopefully there's no Jews watching the video today. Uh, A Jew happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. Right, Verse 32, so too a Levite. A Levite is a Jew, right? He's a Jew. He's He's a... Basically, like a priest, he works in the temple, okay? And he's of the family of the Levites, okay? And uh, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jew, a nobody, somebody everybody thinks that shouldn't even walk the earth, uh, a Samaritan. As he traveled, he came to to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which were expensive, by the way. And uh, he, he then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he and he, he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Now, um, this expert of the law, like, Right? Because a Samaritan would never do that. Like his mind is blown. He can't believe it. And and then Jesus asks this crucial question of the man. Jesus doesn't make the statement, he asks a question. Verse 36 Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Everybody say neighbor. Was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers. Verse 37. The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. What what was that? He wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This had to be excruciating. because, Because he's trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus just did an end around and trapped him right there. Like, that's it. It had to just be terrible for him to admit that that somebody he thought was worthless cared more for the man than somebody who he thought had great value. Jesus revealed that moment that everyone, even your enemy, is your neighbor. So, how are you loving your neighbor? Like, you know, right now, there's no snow. Your grass is starting to come up. You realize your neighbor's dog has crapped on your yard all winter long. <laughs> How are you loving your neighbor? <laughs> Pulling out of Menards the other day, I had a, I, I, I'm had doing a project in my house. I had a, a, my... Suburban. I don't think that you're supposed to do this, but the whole inside of my suburban was filled with lumber, so I couldn't even like see out. I'm like in a box of wood, and uh, that's not safe. And uh, and so I'm I'm at the Menards uh, exit, and I'm letting cars go by. I'm obviously like looking under the wood to try to see out down the road, and it's clear. I but I gotta go slow because I got the car loaded down. I don't want them to slide and, like go through my windshield so i'm I'm turning out and and this guy coming. I mean, he didn't even have to slow down. I timed it right, Come on, I got spatial awareness and 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 he's just flying the bird out the window at me the whole way, and I was like, "Man, I hope that guy goes to my church." like. so I can tell the story on Sunday. (laughs) Oh, the problem is, statistically speaking, Christians are just as bad as non-Christians. Barna Research, all these research groups have done it, and they've proved it, that we are no different statistically than unbelievers. That should hurt. That should make us think. That should make us stop and and think for a minute, why is that? How in the world could Jesus teach this thing about love and our stats not be different than people who are taught, do whatever you want? The Samaritan Loved the beaten man regardless of who he was. He went above and beyond to make sure the man was taken care of. So when we ask the question, what does Jesus' covenant require of me? It's so simple, yet it's so demanding. Jesus' covenant will cost me my life. Jesus' covenant will cost you your life. This is what... uh, What Jesus said, John 15, 12 uh, through 13, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So what does that look like? What does it look like, that Jesus, the way that Jesus loved us? He explains it. We just read it fast, and we don't get that Jesus is telling us how to love other people specifically. Verse 13, greater love. The next thing he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So living Jesus' way will cost you your life. Say, it will cost me my life. To your neighbor. Sorry, I put the to your neighbor thing at the end. It will cost you your life. And I think that people read the scripture right away, they think, so I'm going to die? Like, like, I mean, I like Jesus, but come on. Like, I want to live. No, I'm, we're, not, we're not necessarily talking about what Jesus did. You're not necessarily going to have to go to a cross and die. Okay, I know that's the way he loved us, but what what he's really getting at here is that we need to be willing to set aside our life in order to let love come through. I don't believe you have to actually die. But uh, this is not what Christianity looks like today. Instead, we impose judgment on people who don't agree with our lives, so it becomes about us instead of them. Everything becomes about the Christian and the, the, the believer instead of about the person who's in sin or is an unbeliever. And it's all about how I need to prove that my way is the way. Do you realize that's exactly what the Pharisees did to Jesus all the way, the whole, the whole New Testament, the, all the Gospels with Jesus and, all, and everything after? You realize the thing that Paul and Peter wrote about more often than not was the fact that the church, the Christians, were falling right back into the ritual laws and the judgment and the and the mess that the Pharisees and the leaders then had them in. It's like we just keep falling back to judgment. Think about it this way: like when you become a parent, uh, we all know that our lives are no longer our own. <laughs> you know, we basically we, we have to, for at least a period of time, we need to set aside, aside our lives in order to make sure that our kids' lives are successful, right? That's how we're supposed to. If we didn't do this, it would be a problem. If our baby was crying because it was hungry and we were just like, I got better things to do and walked away, that's not loving the baby. That's not taking care of the baby. That's not being a loving parent. What is love as a parent? It's setting aside your life so that their life can be better. I saw somebody who moved away now but um, took a picture of their feet they were in. They were wearing these ratty tennis shoes, and right next to those tennis shoes were these brand new kicks that were like really, they were awesome looking. I would wear those shoes, and uh, not, I, I wouldn't want to wear the other ones. And he took a picture of his feet. I just saw it this morning, and he said, "This is uh, this is what parenting is." <laughs> he goes, uh, "My feet are the same size as my child's feet, and in a year I'll get to wear those cool sneakers." <laughs> So, like, setting aside yourself, dying to yourself, laying your life down for somebody else is what Jesus says love really is. We, this is what Jesus is telling us about how to love, love and live with others. Not just our own family, not just our own blood, not just people that go to our church, not just people that, we, that are part of our tribe, right? But, but instead, everyone Jesus says that we need to set aside our lives to love others. Like the Good Samaritan. We need to set aside our lives to love others. The Good Samaritan got off his donkey. He put the man on it. He walked the rest of the way. He used his expensive oils and and wine to disinfect the wounds and to help uh, help the guy. He's, apparently he's a central oiler. And, uh, <laughs> he got to the inn and he, he got the guy there and he paid for the night that they were there and he was willing to pay more to take care of a man he didn't even know. He set aside his life for this man he didn't even know. That's what Jesus was saying love really is. So, so why though? Why should we love other people? Why should we do that? What's the point? It's because God loves us all and desires relationship with all of us. I think the hardest thing for us to realize is that God loves the person you hate as much as he loves you. He loves your neighbor whose dog's been in your yard all winter as much as he loves you. He does. And that's hard for us to to conceptualize. He loves the the women in New York who are fighting for abortion right now. And their life is as valuable as your life is. But we fail to connect the dots on that because we think, how can they be valuable? Because think of what they're doing. But that's that's the whole thing about God is that he, he doesn't care what they're doing. He cares about them. You know, that's why so many churches run homosexuals out of their doors. Because you're not, you can't be here. Are you kidding me? Like, there's there's no place I would rather have them than here. Because how are they going to hear about Jesus? We need to love them the same way we love ourselves and love our kids and love our families. And, well, maybe you don't love your family. Don't love them like your family. <laughs> we need to... Like, like, why do we do this? Because, because God said it was us who would be the ones to share the gospel, that we would be the way that he would change the world. God, God didn't, we're not like, I've heard pastors say before, we're not like just an ant farm that God likes to you know, check in on every now and then. No, he made us because he wants relationship with us. When we read about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, God, you know, God made Adam and Eve. And then he, it says that he came and he walked with Adam. Like he, it wasn't just like a side project. It wasn't, it wasn't just something that he thought he'd make and check on every now and then. My kids found a duck egg in the woods the other day and brought it home. I was like, well, this is great. And uh, they're like, can we incubate it? So we set up a whole light thing, and, and I think they fried the egg with the light. They had It was so hot. <laughs> like, we are not that to God, okay? He's not, it's not, we're not an egg under a heat lamp, okay? We, we, are, we are valuable. And as soon, as soon as Adam and Eve fell away, as soon as sin came in, God started a redemption plan because he couldn't wait to walk again with us. That's why it matters to God. That's why it should matter to us is because, guys, I want to walk with him. I want, I want the, the, what, what the end times, you know, the revelation and all that says. I want to live in a place where I can physically walk around with Jesus and God, right? Like, I want that. And I want that because God loves, loves me that much and he loves you that much. And, and we, ha- we have this opportunity to get there. God's plan is to remove the barrier of sin. But that only happens through this new covenant that Jesus was sent to start, this new thing that was all about love. God doesn't keep secrets about that. Jesus even explains it, that that God's God's transparent about his plan. It's it's in the book. It's all over the place. But in John 15, uh, Jesus says this. In verse 14, he says, You're my friends if you do what I command, which is love one another. Right? In verse 15, it says... Uh, He says, I no longer call you servants, because servants follow old rules, old laws, or they follow laws and rules, and that's what their life is all about. He said, because a servant does not know his master's business, instead I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. In other words, Jesus is saying servants don't know the end result. They just have to fulfill this, like complete the rules and the task at hand. But friends know the end result, and they work together to get there. He's saying, "I want you to know where we're going." And I just want to help help give you the instructions on how to get there. And then I love this ending part in uh, in verse 16, he says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you." And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you." Verse 17, "This is my command, love each other." Okay, so Jesus is saying again, that it is our job as believers to be the reason why Jesus is irresistible. Like, people shouldn't resist Christianity because of believers. They should run to it because of it. Jesus explains we're no longer bound to the rules. Instead, we should love others because we know that this, it is love that will fulfill God's ultimate plan of redemption for us. It is love that will fulfill it. So imagine, like, imagine this. If the world knew, if the world knew Christians as people who always went the extra mile, if the world knew Christians as people who always cared for others, what would, would, what would the world look like today? Did you see that uh, Hillsong played on Good Morning America this last, uh, it was like this week, they came and played a song at Good Morning America and the pastor of Hillsong Church. Um, if you don't know who Hillsong is, they're like one of the biggest Christian worship groups in the world. Um, they really started the, the modern Christian music movement like what we have here. And, uh, and they played, and I was blown away. The two ladies that were introducing them, uh, the, the one lady I don't think is a believer, and I didn't, know, I didn't know either of them, and she goes, this music is played at Sunday church uh, every Sunday worldwide, and the other girl goes, Yep, I sing these songs every Sunday at church. And I was like, On Good Morning America, I was pumped. I was like, Yeah, they showed the crowd while they're playing. And there's one lady, like, Yeah, you know, worshiping like this, and everybody else, but, but gosh, we should be the example to live by. Again, if the, world, if the world knew Christians as people who went the extra mile to care for others, to love others, uh, people who weren't pushovers, guys, we're not supposed to be pushovers. We're supposed to stand up for love. We're supposed to stand up for love. How different would, would, would the world be? In, in Acts, we read about a movement. So right after Jesus goes up into heaven, we read about the apostles, we read about a movement that's irresistible. We read about a group of people who go out and cover the countryside and love people like crazy. Remember, I told you when I was in Israel, I was amazed how mountainous it was and huge valleys and huge mountains all over. It wasn't like walking, you know, the the, the North End Trail. Like it's not. It wasn't easy. It was hard, but they went from city to city and they did everything they could to show people how valuable they were, how loved they were. How much they mattered, not just to them, but to this God, this Jesus, who died for them. Who, who went the extra mile, who said, this is the way we're going to love. Guys, everyone, I think it's everyone or all but one of the apostles died for you. Like, like died execution deaths because they were, that, they were that sold on the fact that that, this, that Jesus is who he says he is and that this new covenant is the thing that's going to change the world. This is, this is the real deal. So today you're here and you call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a believer. But maybe you were the one who flipped me off at Menards. And I would say that that's not showing me the love of Jesus. know what else to say. I think I'm supposed to end right there. So I'm going to pray. Let's bow our heads. With everybody's head bowed before I actually pray, just for a minute, take a moment to examine your life and examine your heart. Think about the people in your life that you know that need to know about Jesus. And then ask yourself, is my life's example the kind of thing that's going to point them towards God or drive them away. And it's okay to be honest with yourself right now in your heart. In fact, I believe God is going to reveal some things to you right now. Are there areas of your life where you need change? And it's not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of God and everybody around. Maybe it's time to allow God To have control of those areas of your life, of your heart, of your actions, so that you can be the kind of Christ follower that God can use to see his kingdom come and his will be done here and in your life and around your life and in the people that surround your life. Guys, I'll do 10 services a Sunday if we know that people are experiencing Jesus Every, you know, and growing in their relationship with God and having transformation because of the love of Jesus coming through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every person in here. Lord, you know their heart. You know the things that you've just revealed in, in, in their spirit about their lives that need to change. So, God, today I pray that this isn't just something we're doing in vain, but this is something that's really speaking to us about change and about loving other people, about seeing others with value. God, help us to see other people through your eyes, through the eyes of a God who wants to walk with them in the garden every day, through the eyes of a God who started a redemption plan thousands of years before it would be fulfilled just for each one of these individuals. And God, I pray that you motivate us to be people who are willing to set aside our lives to show love to others. And God, I pray that it makes a difference in this area that is, that is noticeable, that is tangible, that you can touch and feel, that you can see happening before our eyes. Lord, let, let the love of Jesus cover this city through us. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here today and you feel like your life is, is way off track or doesn't have meaning or is a mess and you feel like you've got nowhere to go, today I want to tell you that you need Jesus in your life. Jesus is the one who can restore you. Jesus is the one who can bring value back. Jesus is the one who says your identity isn't based in those things. You're, you are identified by a God who sees great value in you. If that's you today and, you, and, and you're in that place, you need Jesus. If you feel like you have no direction, if you feel like you have, you have low self worth. If you feel like your sins and the, or the things, you don't even maybe call them sins, but the things in your life that you've done make you unworthy, I'm here to tell you that you are worthy because Jesus died on the cross for you. He defeated the grave for you. So if that's you today and you know you need Jesus, you want to make him Lord today and you want to begin this life with him where you have value and you have purpose and you have direction, if that's you today, And you want to make Jesus Lord and start that life right now with everybody's eyes closed. Just lift your hand up. Is there anybody today in this place? Awesome. Awesome. As well, if you're watching online, it doesn't matter if you're here in the room. If you want Jesus, lift your hand up right now. He can see your hand and he can see your heart. I don't need to see it. I love how God's word is so clear on how we make Jesus Lord, how we start this. First, we've got to believe in our heart. So today you're saying, I believe. And then we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We're going to pray together and we're going to declare that you're making Jesus Lord. And then you've got to live it out. Today you start walking with those convictions that you felt in your heart a few minutes ago. And you begin loving people regardless of who they are. And regardless of reason for loving them, you just do it. And you watch how God transforms your life and their lives each step of the way. So let's pray together and let's together welcome you into the family of God. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner, and I needed forgiveness. Thank you for giving it to me. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I choose to live for you from this day on. Lead me, guide me, and speak to me as I follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thanks again for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can check us out online at rlcbr.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store or your podcast feed. We love you, and remember to always reach up, reach in, and reach out. Have a great week.